What's up, interpreters? My name is Spirit Tafik. I am the founder and director of Roots of the Spirit, and it is a big part of my life's work to uproot racism through storytelling, education, and the arts. What's up, interpreters? I'm Paul Caputo. I'm the executive director for NAI. So happy to be speaking with Spirit this week, but with me as always. What's up, interpreters? This is Song. I'm your events and engagement manager with NAI. And here we go. We are speaking with Spirit Tafik. She is uh, one of our keynote presenters um, at our upcoming national conference in Little Rock, Arkansas, later this fall slash winter. I don't know. Fall. What is it? November? Early November. November. That's fall. The World Series know. will have just ended. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's really how we gauge. <laughs> it's called know, the Fall the Classic. Calendar. <laughs> Spirit, it is so great to have you on this podcast. How are you? Thank you so much. It is wonderful to be among you, both and all of the amazing interpreters. I feel like I'm at home. This is my, you know, I am an interpreter at heart and I was professionally so for many years. So very excited for our conversation. Well, let's let's start with that. Uh, I'd love to get into your background and in interpretation. Before we hit the record button, we were chatting and, and uh, I mentioned that Probably the last time you and I saw each other in person was at the international conference that NAI held in concert with Interpret Australia in Townsville, Australia in 2010. You were knee deep in, in your interpretation career at that point. How did you get started in the field of interpretation? Yeah, that was an amazing conference. I had such an incredible time and it was very nice to like look at interpretation from a global perspective. And we could talk about that for a long time. But to answer your question, there's a very long story. Don't we all have a very robust story that goes behind kind of what brings us to this work? But I'll distill it to the best of my ability. Long story short, I was born and raised in northern Ontario, Canada, on a farm where we were kind of in the wilderness. My parents are both from the United States, but they left the United States during the Vietnam War in opposition to the war. And bought land and set up their family farm in Northern Ontario, Canada. So I grew up there. The wilderness was my classroom. There was nothing out of the ordinary about my family to my understanding. But once I started school, my brothers and sisters started school as brown children in a predominantly white town. It was brought to my attention that there was something quote wrong with me that that I didn't quite fit in, I didn't belong. So like, in essence, racism was introduced to me at a very early age. I didn't have a language to understand it. It wasn't talked about in my family. And so it was just something that we dealt with like by ourselves, very shameful and painful and internalized that. And there was a certain point in which around the seventh grade that I found out, and there's a long story that goes into that. But the, the fact of the matter is I found out that my mother, Minnie Jean Brown, Tricky was one of the Little Rock Nine, one of the first nine Black teenagers to desegregate Central High School in Little Rock, Arkansas in 1957. So here I am, a child experiencing racial discrimination, not talking about it, not knowing that there's a shared experience. And then I find out that my mother literally had to have a soldier to take her to and from class for her protection. So learning her story like infused an excitement and a thirst for uh, understanding this story and also like it helped me understand myself. So from seventh grade to this moment in time, I have been uh, excavating the story about the Central High Crisis 
and really uh, understanding it from uh, the nation's history, but also how that impacted my life. As it relates to my career and in interpretation, by a complete twist of fate, never thought in a million years I'd ever live in Little Rock, Arkansas. Um, I moved to Little Rock, Arkansas in 2002, began working at Little Rock Central High National Historic Site, who had, which had only recently become designated a part of the National Park Service a few years earlier. Ironically, I had worked for Parks Canada, so I had that experience. So I applied for a seasonal position, started working there, fell in love with history like never before. I did not like history up until then. I saw myself reflected as a human being, but also like my family heritage. And then I woke up 10 years later and I had gone from a seasonal position to being the public affairs specialist or public information officer rather, um, and uh, lead, ranger, lead ranger at the historic site. Wow. So there's there are a thousand trillion other stories in between there, but that's like as distilled as I can possibly get it. <laughs> <laughs> so Spirit, not only were you an interpreter at the Central High Historic Site, but you also then moved to D.C. and you were working at the Smithsonian. Is that accurate? Yeah, so just kind of like to bridge it all together, speaking of bridges. Um, so <laughs> I was at Little Rock Central High National Historic Site for 10 years. I applied for a lateral position at Klondike Gold Rush National Historical Park in Seattle, where I worked for almost two years. And then I actually had to leave my beloved National Park Service behind for, for family reasons. I moved to New York. And then I worked for the Smithsonian Institution, specifically the National Museum of the American Indian in Lower Manhattan in New York. Yeah, I mean, you've so really I consider the Smithsonian and National Park Service like very close cousins, mm. to be honest. <laughs> So the the you founded Roots of the Spirit, uh, which, as you mentioned, is was you created that to uproot racism through storytelling, education, and the arts. Obviously, very interpretive. How do you use the what you learned in the fields of interpretation? Uh, how do you take that and and apply it to this organization and the accompanying podcast? By the way, rate, review, subscribe to Roots of the Spirit podcast found anywhere you can find all the podcasts. Uh, how do you use your interpretation background with that organization to to uproot racism? I love that question. Um, sometimes I respond in like a story, but the reason why I take my time and tell the story about my upbringing is because like, even though that's something that happened many years ago, that still lives with me. And so I guess you could say when I worked for the National Park Service, I was able to take something that I did not have, like I didn't love history. Working with the National Park Service allowed me to fall in love with history. It allowed me to see that there was like a personal connection that it, at the end of the day, like our common humanity is like a, a way for us to connect. And so really professionalizing the things that I love to do, for example, telling stories, who knew that there's such value and there's such significance in sharing our stories? And I feel like that's something that we're greatly missing. I feel like the conversations can sometimes be very linear and not have much context and breadth and vastness. And what I like to do is like expand uh, the conversation bringing all of us to the table so we can share our stories because in essence you know the the theme of the conference being building bridges that to me is so personal because i feel as though 
I serve as an intergenerational bridge between the civil rights movement and the young people of today. I serve as a bridge as a black woman who is biracial, black biracial woman between black and white. I have I I know both of these worlds intimately and I I can see many I, I just feel like I, I have an advantage of knowing both worlds and bringing, bridging that conversation. Also having the experience of living in Canada and the United States. So being an interpreter allowed me to create a language. It allowed me to understand that there's value in storytelling and also come up with actual techniques to connect with people so that if you do visit Central High National Historic Site or you do visit all of these sacred places around the world, that no matter what your walk in life is, you can walk away inspired, inspired to become a part of something, a part of change, in, inspired in so many different ways. So yeah, it's like taking the things that I love and creating a framework and tools and techniques to create meaning out of it and then inspire and affect change really, all the way to policy change in DC. So it was so special to me to find a way to, to, yeah, to bring interpretation into my life. And it's, even though I'm not technically an interpreter, trust and believe, <laughs> I live, think, breathe and analogies. And I know like different ways of connecting with people and different learning styles. And I think that's one of the great things about interpretation is like meeting people where they are and allowing them to make their own connections and leading to opportunities. Well, once an interpreter, always an interpreter. <laughs> can't you tell I'm an interpreter (laughs) (laughs) yes tell us a little bit about the workshops that you that you offer through Roots of the Spirit Um, we're offering one at national conference kind of this special twofer actually threefer not only do we have your mother Minnie Jean Brown Tricky as a keynote we also have you as a keynote and then you are offering a workshop for us what are you hoping that people who attend your workshop will take away Yeah, so the workshop is called Enlightening Conversations About Race and Racism. Why enlightening? Just because I feel like they're, especially in the last few years, like when the word race and racism and all of these myths and (laughs) lies that are swarming around, I really want to say like, this is a part of our reality, our identity. This is something we live with each and every day. We all possess it. (laughs) Um, and I really want to like bring the stigma down and create a comfortable environment for us to have honest conversations and that's kind of the essence of the work that I do in general is in order for us to move forward and to come up with powerful ways to create change we actually have to talk honestly and critique you know race and racism honestly in order to come up with solutions And so very seldomly do we have, especially in professional environments, the opportunity to have conversations about our identity. And so I really like to look at like, what is race, the social construction of race? How were these mythologies perpetuated and kind of infused into the fabric of this nation? And what is structural racism, systemic racism? Because we've heard a lot about it in the last few years, but do we really actually know what it is? And I feel as though kind of my angle is my personal, professional, professional and social position um, as it relates to the lineage from which I come, 
you know, on the one hand, my mother is the descendant of enslaved people, and my father is the descendant of John Alden, who arrived on the Mayflower. And so, like, that kind of, like, intersection of identity, in addition to the fact that, you know, my mother desegregated Central High School in 1957 and working at the historic site and having a very firm understanding of the how systemic racism like that story being the quintessential um, example of systemic racism and how it functions, how it thrives, and how individuals play a role in this like collective experience. And using that as a blueprint to say, look, we have this shining example and we know what, you know, went wrong. We know all of the things that you know, could have been done differently. Why don't we use that as an example? And why are we not looking at case studies like that to make better, different choices today? And so I also like to encourage anyone who I'm speaking with, and of course, this audience is very dear to my heart, but like looking at the agencies in, with, in which we work, like what is the history of our agency? If we look at the National Park Service, and I've had the honor of doing some anti-racism work with the National Park Service, like what are some policies that were in place, are in place that, you know, discriminate or are not inclusive? And being able to leave with, you know, a, a critical lens to be able to go back and look at some of that and say, okay, so we maybe we need to do an audit. Maybe we need to look at some of these policies and some of the policies that exist could be really firm and powerful. Are we using them to the best of our ability in our institutions? So that is like a very heavy lift, but in essence, the way that I look at a short workshop like this is I, I come in and I, I strike the match and I set up the kindling, I put it in the fire and it begins to kind of grow some flames. I will not be there long enough to like fan the fire and keep it going. And, you know, it's it's merely like, let's get the conversation going. Let's bring down the fear factor of having these conversations and let's walk away with a greater sense of ownership and responsibility and agency to make a change in our organizations, in our communities. And oftentimes these conversations are very relevant to like family life. How can we actually, you know, um, create, healthier, more harmonious environments within our own families, which in essence can lend to greater societal change. So that's how I look at it. It's a conversation starter. It is like wanting everyone to feel as though they can contribute and walk away with tools, resources, and actual techniques to, to keep the conversation going. And I have other workshops as well, like longer term, but in essence, that's what this workshop at the conference will be about. So we asked you to look at the current work that you do in uprooting racism from an interpretation lens. I'm going to flip that on its head now, because one of the challenges that the field of interpretation faces and uh, and the profession, but also interpretive sites, is making our interpretive sites and making the profession accessible to everybody. And that is a challenge, right? That's something that the field is working on, but we're not there yet. Looking at in the field of interpretation and interpretive sites from this lens of uprooting racism, what are the challenges you see there? And do you see a path forward for overcoming them? Yes, um, this is that's a really powerful conversation. I will go back to kind of the foundation for me. Um, 
one of my podcast guests, Dr. Todd Allen, who is the founder of what's called the Common Ground Project, where he takes people across the South to visit the civil rights sites that are very significant. And he's a professor at Messiah College. I respect him highly. But one of the things he said in the podcast is we can't have honest conversations if we don't have an informed historical perspective. Having an informed historical perspective to me is the foundation of having truthful conversations. I wholeheartedly agree with that statement. And what I mean by that is we really have to be diligent into digging into the truthful history. Um, and you could use, you know, X historic site, monument, et cetera, and dig really deep into the history and take in a critical lens that is very, it has to be different from what we've done in the past. I'll take, for example, like I really had uh, an incredible experience working at Klondike Gold Rush National Historical Park because perhaps at face value, you think of gold and the gold rush, but there are so many incredible, rich stories, diverse, rich stories about indigenous people, about various groups who live in the international district in Seattle who are impacted by the gold rush. And if we don't think critically about all of the different groups and identities and stories that go along with that, then we are completely like we are um, doing a complete disservice. We're not telling the whole truth. And I think it's important for us to tell the whole truth, the unvarnished truth, the ugly truth, in order to honor our visitors honor the people who are coming there to learn about this story and I think the agency as a whole needs to do some acknowledging as well and so it's about acknowledging the history of the National Park Service as an example or any you know I know I'm saying National Park Service over and over because that's my background but looking at the history of the National Park Service um, the truthful history the unvarnished history the not so nice history and moving from there and then it, as it relates to different historic sites or monuments, et cetera, is using kind of that same framework and like really being deliberate and digging deep into those untold stories. I think that is a way to start. Also looking at the history of the nation, because one of the things I, I was able to uncover is that, you know, there are myths and narratives about who visits the parks, who, who works at the parks. And for the most part, I mean, it's not as diverse as it should be. And so there's a reason for that. And we need to uncover and be forthcoming about why that is the case. Like that some national parks, it was illegal for black people to visit some parks. So if you have that as a legacy, as a truth about certain parks or certain outdoor spaces, then there becomes like, we fast forward to current day, how safe would somebody feel if they were in a place that's historically segregated? And then, you know, that kind of notion and that feeling of entitlement still lives in some people to say, this belongs to us and this does not belong to you. So at the end of the day, some of the components of interpretation, like telling our stories, telling the tr truthful stories, being courageous as an agency, as stewards of these incredibly rich powerful stories in essence like helping to maintain the national narrative taking responsibility for that being courageous and being out front with the truth so I think that's it's you know that is at the foundation is 
how do we tell the truth? And how can we be courageous leaders in our respective environments and saying, we're going to make space to tell the truth? Whether that's starting small, like, okay, so every week we have a staff meeting. We are going to dedicate, and I've done this at a couple parks and I've had the support of um, leadership. 15, 20 minutes is going to be dedicated to diversity, equity, inclusion, belonging, whatever the case is. We're going to put this conversation on the forefront. I'm going to make sure that everyone in this park or this environment is knows that this is a high value for us. And we're going to dedicate some time and we're going to be very intentional about how we move through this. And one of the things about my workshop, about all of this work is like, it's very difficult. It's not easy, but it has to be done. And I think that we owe it to ourselves. And as a fairly new mother, I'm even my passion has gone through the roof because we cannot afford, like when it comes to environmental issues, when it comes to racism, all of these different forms of discrimination, we cannot afford to wait another minute. We have to take responsibility. So telling the truth, the ugly truth, the unvarnished truth, carving out space. And then also like, there are so many professionals that are doing this work. Like it doesn't have to be reinvented. There are black indigenous people of color, who have lived experience, but professional experience, who can help take the igniting of a conversation, the kindling, you know, the flames going up, but also like taking it to the next level, doing an audit on your policies and procedures, working with HR to like, you know, in tandem, like learn how can we create something better, but also like knowing that there are structures and mechanisms in place we have to adhere to and really creating sustainable change because we spent what 400 plus years instituting this and engineering it it's going to take some time but i think we need to be creative and we have to reimagine and use our imaginations to create something different and it's going to take all of this like interpretive you know genius to make it happen all right, I have one last question for you. And you've been very generous with your time already. And we certainly appreciate that. And I can't wait to see your presentation and your workshop at the National Conference, November 7th through 11. Register now. The question I have for you is, every every interpreter obviously brings their own personal perspective, their own personal background to the work that they do. It's it's impossible to to, I think, disentangle the individual from the the work and and the interpretation that must have been particularly true for you interpreting at little rock nine national historical site how did the the fact of being at the place where your mother was part of this incredible historical event how did that change your approach to interpreting that site wow your questions are incredible okay so <laughs> This was something that evolved and changed and metamorphosized and transformed in so many different ways I could describe it over time. Initially, I was, you know, I walked in the place, I was excited. The honest truth is I literally needed a job. <laughs> During my college years, I was still in school. And so, yeah, it was exciting. You know, I had this personal connection, but I had no idea the depth of this story. So once I started understanding like the layers, I started diving really deep. And there were many, many times where this was very personal and painful, harmful, and traumatic. 
to the point that after 10 years went by, I literally had to walk away. That's why I sought out another opportunity because it was too heavy on my soul. And this, you know, the new conversation and language around self-care and, you know, all of this work-life balance, that was not a thing back then. And so I didn't even know that I was like burning myself out because it was so personal. However, the person that I am, I pride myself in being professional as well. And to the best of my ability, I would try to strike a balance of, you know, a professional interpreter brings the toolkit and you bring the statistics and you bring the research and you bring the science, but you also bring the story. And so I like to create a presentation or a tour or a workshop that had a balance of all of the things that I just named. So there was space to have a very honest conversation and speak very candidly about my personal experience and the, how that has impacted my family. But I also tried to be as balanced, fair, and just, you know, allowing each visitor to process and experience this story and the sacred site um, on their own. I didn't want to try to inform them like, this is what you need to think. This is what you need to feel. But I am going to give you all of the ingredients for you to walk away and have your own feelings and come to your own conclusion. But I did find it important to be fair and balanced and allow the visitors to create those opportunities for themselves. But I do think that it is important, like from a staffing perspective, is again, making space for, like we kind of default or kind of organically created like, we have to debrief. Like as interpreters, we carved out our own space. We have to debrief. We can't go home every day with this. This is impacting all of us. I have created a play about this story. It's called One Ninth about the central high desegregation crisis, but from the eyes of Minnie Jean Brown and her family's perspective. And in the production of the play, tensions would rise, like in current day, from these historical events and truths and the dialogue so my point is like we are living through some of the pain in this moment so I feel like we have to make space whether it's for our visitors whether it's for the staff the interpreters in particular who are engaging in these conversations I think that's really important to have a space to be able to decompress debrief and kind of like let some of the charge off of because this is real you know, this is not, that's the whole point. That's why I feel like I get chills when I think about it. My mother being the opening keynote for the conference and me being the closing keynote, like creating that bridge from the civil rights movement to today, that intergenerational dialogue that so seldomly happens in order for us to say like, this is really important. This is, this is not just something of the past, her being alive and thriving at in her early 80s is a testament to how recent in our history this is. We need to acknowledge that and we need to understand that this is today. These issues are still, you know, racism is alive and well, and we can see that across the country. There are campaigns to try to stifle us from even having these conversations. And that is completely against anything that I believe in that we should be able to have these conversations and we as professionals and stewards of these stories 
and these agencies should make space to have them. Well, Spirit, I think we could talk to you all day long. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But we do have to wrap this up. And, you know, I just want to say thank you for taking the time and for all the work that you're doing. You know, it's not just motivational, inspirational. It's really about action, taking action. Again, thank you so much for coming on this podcast with us and for, you know, providing us with an amazing workshop option. And then I'm just thrilled to meet you in person um, in November for your keynote. So again, thank thank you you. so much. Yeah. Thank you so much for your time and all the work you do. And we'll see you soon. And interpreters, interpreters, that's what's up. up? (laughs) That wasn't bad. That's maybe our best one yet. It's still not good, but maybe our best one yet. Maybe our best one yet. (laughs) 